This week's TribCast is sponsored by The Human Rights Campaign strives to achieve fundamental fairness and equality for all LGBTQ Texans. Equality, nothing more, nothing less. And Texas Farm Bureau. Texas Farm Bureau represents the voice of Texas agriculture at local, state, and national levels. Learn more at texasfarmbureau.org. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune Tripcast for July 14th, 2021. My name is Matthew Watkins, Managing Editor of News and Politics for the Texas Tribune. And I am sorry to inform you that I am back and that Cassie Pollock is not our permanent Tripcast host, although she is joining us today. Hello, Cassie. Oh, hello there, Watkins. Thank you for uh, uh, carrying the torch uh, last week. Um, we're also joined by uh, demographics reporter Alexa Uda. Another unfortunate reality. <laughs> and politics reporter James Buttergon. I'm here. I'm happy to be here. No, nothing unfortunate. All here. right. That's what I like to see. Very good. Well, you know, last week y'all were talking about the special session, and this week we we're talking about how that has been completely derailed. Uh, Monday morning, I was gone because I uh, I was I was driving back from uh, Colorado during the time of the, the last trip cast. And Monday morning, as as I return to work, we get a call about the Democrats getting ready to board a plane and fly to Washington D.C. for their own out of state trip. Um, this basically is uh, you know breaking quorum part two, making it so the Texas legislature essentially can't get much done because there's no quorum in the House and they can't pass out legislation. Alexa, you have been on top. Well, really, all three of y'all have been on top of this uh, since this started. But I'm going to turn to you first, Alexa, to tell us basically what happened here. Walk us through the last couple of days and, and where we are now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the lead up to the quorum break is actually really instructive in, in this conversation because what we saw was House and Senate Democrats meet in these overnight hearings and, and during which they heard a vast majority of um, people who were testifying, a vast majority of whom were opposed to the legislation. And I think like in a scene that we've all seen plenty of times in the Capitol, the Republican majorities on the committee voted those bills out, basically setting up, setting them up for a floor vote this week. Um, and in light of that, you know, the Democrats made good on, on sort of the threat that they had laid out there a few weeks ago that they were sort of willing to do anything to block this legislation. They uh, met at a local Local plumbers union um, in Austin, where they boarded a bus that then took them to a private terminal at the Austin airport. And then they hopped onto charter planes. The, the majority of the caucus hopped onto um, charter planes and headed for Washington. You know, this is a second trip to DC for, for many of them. Um, they've painted this as sort of coming back with reinforcements in, in kind of the second part of this corn break, which is basically to tell DC you know, we're doing everything we can. We're essentially giving you a deadline to act on federal voting rights reform because we ultimately don't have the numbers to kill this bill. And this is just another sort of temporary uh, measure. 
That's right. So they are, you know, the, the rule, the house rules, basically it's what two thirds of the house has to be in the chamber at a time. So they needed 51 or more Democrats to uh, not necessarily leave the state, but at least not be there in the chamber when they were there to, you know, make the, to do their work. Um, they, they got that. It seems as though most of the Democrats are out. Cassie, you know, you, you've been watching the House since then. Talk a little bit about the reaction of the Democrats. What happened next, you know, once the, once the, the reaction of the Republicans, I guess, what happened next once the Democrats landed and the House kind of came together on Tuesday to, 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 you know, supposedly begin their work? afternoon, Monday evening, you kind of started seeing some House Republicans, uh, in fact, some House Republican chairmen start to kind of indicate support or that they intended to vote for what's known as or what's called a, a call of the House. Um, what that essentially does is, is a member moves, uh, will make will make the motion. Uh, it has to be seconded by 15 members, uh, including uh, one of which can be the speaker. And then uh, the chamber takes a vote on it. And since we only had 80 members or so, I believe the vote ended up being 76 to four on that. And that essentially gives the speaker or the person, the member who made the motion, the authority to order the chamber doors to be locked uh, and to send law enforcement uh, after um, members who have left the chamber. Um, you know, it, it, that second part there doesn't uh, really hold a lot of sway in this particular instance because state authorities here in Texas don't, don't have jurisdiction uh, outside of the state. Uh, in Washington, D.C. Um, but, you know, what we've seen since play out since then is Republicans uh, have, have, this chamber has stood at ease. You've seen a whole lot of conversations. I think you've seen some some uh, hard playing happening in the chamber, uh, you know, members taking phone calls. And then at least what happened Tuesday afternoon after this, this call of the order was, call of the house was ordered, um, you know, feeling uh, released members by uh, giving them uh, essentially a hall pass or a permission slip to leave the chamber, so long as that member promises to return back to the Capitol the next day. Uh, so the House uh, met again this morning at 11 a.m., I believe, and is standing at ease. Uh, you know, I think most people are expecting uh, today and, and tomorrow and the day after that, for as long as this plays out, to pretty much just have the same cadence to it, right? We're going to see members, uh, all but four of them, uh, or Republicans um, come into the chamber. There's no official business that can be done or action that can be taken. Um, so there, everyone's just sitting around and, and, and nothing can actually get done. Yeah, James, I mean, you know, ultimately we, we, we saw from the House a, you know, essentially kind of a, uh, what could be described as a arrest warrant, right? You know, basically ordering, you know, the, the sergeant at arms to, to bring these Texas Republicans back, you know, possibly if necessary, Texas Democrats back, excuse me, possibly if necessary by making arrests. But, you know, as you guys pointed out in the story, what they actually can do is pretty limited because the jurisdiction of Texas law enforcement goes as far as the border of Texas and Democrats are well beyond that border in DC, right? So ultimately, what we're talking about here is a stuck legislature, right? There's there's not much that they can do as long as the Democrats remain out of the state. Yeah, and I think there's also a question of what actually law enforcement can do, because this is sort of a civil situation here with this, this call of the House. I mean, there's no crime that's actually happening. It's, it's just a civil civil order that they're, they're kind of putting out there. So I was talking to Jim Dunham, who was the House Democratic leader way back in 2003 when they broke quorum, 
and he's a lawyer and he, he was he was telling me like i'm not even sure if if they were within texas what a dps trooper or anybody deputized by them could actually do like can they physically put their hands on them and grab them and do it he he thinks there was legal questions about whether they can do it so they can they can ask and say please will you get in the car and come back to the capitol but i don't know i think there's a actually a legal question about can they physically put their hands on them and force them to but that's neither here nor there just another little tip for you texas trip <laughs> trip gas listeners uh just, just they want that inside knowledge um but yeah i mean I think there is going to be a whole lot of sitting around. I think this is going to get old pretty soon. But for the next couple of days, there's going to be a lot of political theater. I mean, we've seen it already with everybody going basically to their camp. The Democrats are out in D.C. saying they're fighting for democracy. We've seen them all tweet the same thing. It is our duty to fight for democracy. And we've seen the Republicans call them the Miller D's because of that infamous Miller 12-pack or 6-pack. I'm not sure that they had on the bus. I've done a lot of research on this, and I believe it to be a 12-pack. <laughs> a 12-pack for like 40 people. Yeah. How does that work out? <laughs> and, and well, but the, the, the Republicans certainly have capitalized on, on the, you know, they're drinking beer, they're abdicating their duties, they're walking out on the job. Um, all of this ignores the, the fact that breaking quorum is a legitimate, you know, procedural tactic that you can do. But um, the reality here is kind of overshadowed by the political theater and sort of scoring the political points. And I think two things are for certain. We can expect these guys and gals to keep sitting around um, in the Capitol for the next, you know, whatever, three weeks until the special session ends, unless the Democrats all of a sudden change their change their minds and decide that they want to come back. And the second thing is that we're going to keep hearing these same lines of attack from Republicans of like they're abdicating their duty and from Democrats about we had to do what we had to do to fight for democracy up until next year's election. Because at a certain to a certain extent, we know that there's a possibility the governor has already said he's going to keep calling special session after special session until he gets this thing passed. So there's a very high likelihood that this thing will pass. And at this point, it's just uh a messaging war, really, like who's going to win the messaging war? Because really, Democrats have no other way to win this other than to actually win elections. Right. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, there are there are a lot of things to talk about on this. This is, of course, has been a pretty momentous kind of occasion in the, the Texas legislature. And, uh, you know, people up until recently were still talking about trading stories about 2003, the last time Democrats did this, you know, fleeing to um, Ardmore, Oklahoma, I believe, to, to stop a midterm redistricting um, in, in Texas. And, you know, this feels like it's going to be one of those kind of, you know, big moments in Texas politics that people are talking about for a long time. Ultimately, though, Alexa, this is about voting rights, though, right? I mean, and, and, and what we're hearing from Democrats is a concern that this bill is, you know, taking the step back, you know, uh, you know, harming the voting rights of their constituents, particularly people of color, disabled voters and things like that. And, and that seems to be, you know, what they say is kind of driving their decision to take dramatic action, no matter, you know, how, um, you know, futile it might be in the end. Uh, take a step back here and talk to us a little bit about kind of this voting bill and what it means to the, the people who are who are doing this. 
Yeah, I think I think there are two components to this. The first is the actual legislation, right? It is very similar to the legislation that Democrats temporarily derailed back in May in, in their first walkout. Obviously, that one was just a, a few hours long because it was on the last day to, to vote out bills, but it, it's still very, very similar. It targets a lot of the things that Harris County did in 2020 to make it easier to vote, things like drive-through voting, things like 24-hour voting, but it also you know, enhances protections for partisan poll watchers. It gives them free movement in in a polling place, which has raised concerns about intimidation of voters, and depending on what that venue looks like and what those interactions can look like inside of a polling place. Um, It does things like add new rules to the people who assist voters, including those with uh, disabilities. And, you know, we've heard a lot from the disability rights community about the way this bill could further complicate the process for them. Uh, So, I mean, it's a pretty broad bill. It's really hard to sort of summarize it in in a very short soundbite, but I think the overall uh, sort of positioning around it is the same, right? You have civil rights groups who oppose it. You have advocates for voters of color who oppose it. Obviously, the Democrats who oppose it, Republicans who continue to push for it based on these, you know, mostly baseless claims of widespread voter fraud, right? They talk about preventing the likelihood of fraud, even though it doesn't actually occur on a widespread basis. So there's the legislation part of it and the concerns that it raised. And then I think the second part is the, the motivation. Right. You know, if you if you look at the if you were to walk into the House chamber right now, based on the Republicans who are left, it doesn't look a whole lot like Texas. Right. And there's a reason for that, because the districts that Democrats represent are more likely to have these black and brown majorities. Right. Those are their constituents and those are the people that they felt would be harmed by this legislation. And and ultimately the reason why they took what really is still an extraordinary measure, right? Like we've had two in like three months. And so we think it's a, you know, I think that sort of changes the stakes of of it a little bit perception wise, but so those are the sort of things that work here at play. Obviously they're turning to DC to ask for federal reform because they ultimately don't have the numbers to block this here in Texas. I think you can have a separate conversation about whether that's actually going to move the ball. And, you know, I think if we probably had really honest conversations with some of the Democrats out there, they maybe know that it might not. Uh, but I, but the, the sense that we've gotten is that they at least had to sort of go down swinging, even if the other side disagrees with, with the tactic. Yeah, and ultimately, you know, you and I, Alexa, have talked about this kind of offline about um, there. The end game of this remains very questionable because ultimately, I don't think many people think that the Democrats have the ability to stay out of the state until you know indefinitely. Basically, like they would, they basically have to stay out of the state until they could control one of the branches of the Texas government, which uh, you know we don't see much of an indication that's going to happen, you know, that couldn't happen until 2022 at the earliest. And, you know, I think we could all talk about how unlikely that may be even in that time. So, so ultimately, you know, they have jobs, they have families, they can't just live in DC for the rest of their lives. So under that, you know, it could end up being somewhat futile. You know, one thing that you have mentioned, one thing that we have written about and that they have talked about is that it's not a, um, it's not an accident that they flew to Washington, D.C., right? And that they look at Washington, D.C. as a place where 
you know, maybe the help could come, and particularly in getting some voting rights legislation coming out of a Democratic-controlled Congress and a Democratic presidency, um, and particularly the issue of preclearance, which we've talked about on this podcast. But even that is a stretch, right? Because that would involve getting rid of the filibuster, which would involve getting Joe Manchin on board for getting rid of the filibuster. He does not seem interested or willing to do that. So basically what we're sitting here is looking at as a, a big stance, one that people might be talking about for a long time, but there does, there remains still an absence of a clear path to, you know, stopping this legislation from co- going into effect. Yeah, I mean, I, they don't have the numbers to actually kill the bill, right? We know that they have said that they the wherewithal to sort of stay out of the state indefinitely to avoid being apprehended by law enforcement in whatever form that may look like, you know, that you have to think about what that means logistically, right? Like these people have families. Some of them have jobs that they've already been gone from for the five months that they were here for the regular legislative session. So the, the there's a logistical part of that. But I think what we've seen already from Democrats is sort of trying to create an out for themselves, right? They landed in DC on Monday night. And one of the first things that Chris Turner, uh, the chair of the House Democratic Caucus, one of the first things he said is like, he was asked, you know, what are you going to do if Governor Greg Abbott keeps calling special sessions? And he said, you know, that's our message to Congress. Uh, And so I think that they are sort of using this to kind of set a deadline for Congress to act. You know, I think there are very much broader forces at play in terms of Congress actually will act, you know, enacting something like preclearance that would put the state back under oversight of its election laws and its uh, redrawing, you know, a, a mechanism that proved pretty forceful in in the years leading up to when the Supreme Court uh, wiped it out in 2013, particularly when it came to protecting voters of color to make sure the state wasn't discriminating against them. Uh, but, But I think that what what will be interesting to look out for in the next few weeks is kind of how effectively can Democrats sort of stick to that messaging about this is just a deadline for Congress because we ultimately don't have the numbers. And and I think it's sort of still an open question as to to whether they'll sort of stick by that. I think um, another thing here, I know that we've definitely talked about it on uh, previous trip casts and definitely uh, it gets a mention in almost every story that we've written so far about this. It's just the reality that, you know, right now you've kind of seen Democrats uh, Turner at a news conference yesterday, you know, said that they're, the, the Democrats are not going to be coming to the table on any sort of neg- negotiation until and if when Abbott reverses his Article 10 veto, uh, which funds the legislature. That funding set to run out uh, August 31st, right? Democrats have also taken Abbott to court on that. There's an avenue there that the Texas Supreme Court uh, overrules that veto. But, you know, Abbott, meanwhile, has said that Democrats have zero leverage here, right? And so what factors are going to come into play for uh, what is going to happen between now and August 31? Is there going to be anything that happens? Um, And, you know, that's both an optics thing and like a very logistical uh, thing for over 2,100 state employees. But the the other thing, too, about that is this is kind of a, you know, this is a self-inflicted wound, basically, on the state. The, The governor vetoed the funding. So, I mean, it's really, it's really his decision to do that. And I think that is something that has to be made very clear because, you know, we're talking about the realities and the politics of it all. The messaging is that, you know, the Democrats walked out and, 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 
these folks won't have jobs. But really, it was the governor's decision. I mean, the legislation was passed. The budget was passed. Everybody agreed on it. Um, and the governor said, no, I didn't get my priority bills, so I'm going to punish people. And um, the punishment is going to be for the legislative staffers. But it's sort of like also a it could be a double sort of wound, self-inflicted wound for the state, because these state employees are going to not have jobs after August 31st. And so what are they going to do? They're going to go on unemployment. And so that's going to cost the state money. And so the, the state is going to be paying for that. So uh, I don't know. I guess that there is that leverage there. Like Cassie was talking about the courts and maybe they can work something out. Doesn't look like anybody's going to be doing any negotiating right now as of now. But I did want to just note that that like these employees will be paid unemployment from like from like the state. So yeah, well, there's also kind of a, a possible brain drain that could happen of people who, you know, not having paychecks might look elsewhere for paychecks. And and the human cost also. I mean, these people have families. These people, they will not have health insurance. You know, that goes with their benefits. And, and those will be terminated, according to the director of the legislative, legislative budget board, if, if this does end up happening. I, I think the that's, that's an excellent point. And, of course, Governor Abbott put Democrats in this position where the Article 10 funding was at stake. Article 10, of course, being the funding for the Texas legislature and all the agencies that are involved in that. Um, but I mean, is that is is it even possible? Like, can the governor undo a veto like that? Or I mean, it, it seems to me like while Governor Abbott made this decision and, and put them in this position, you know, it would it would would it not require an act of the legislature to undo that? I think I think that's right. I'm not sure if anybody wants to take a stab at it, but if he if he's vetoed it, it's vetoed, right? And so now, I, yeah, I will say that um, Turner mentioning it at the DC news conference, like the Abbott reversing his veto, that's the first time I've ever heard the suggestion that Abbott can reverse a veto. Um, the two options that I've like that that people have talked about the most is like the legislature can pass a supplemental budget that refunds Article 10, and then Abbott has to then sign that. Uh, or, you know, there's, of course, the, 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 the Texas Supreme Court option. I have not heard. Um, right. That, that's, a, that's a key one, right, is the, de the Democrats and legislative staff are suing, saying Abbott doesn't have the, you know, it's an overreach of his power in order to have vetoed the funding for an entire branch of government. Yeah, but we should also think of the, the timeline here, right? The, the current special session ends August. I keep getting this wrong. I think it's August. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> or is it August 7th, Alexa? <laughs> I don't know. One of those two days. Um, but the, the, the ledge staffers are funded through August 31st, right? And so there is still this like three-week gap where I think – I, you know, I'm not going to assume or, or take bets on what may or may not happen. But I think that the it, it is at least clear that there's still a window for some level of negotiation on that front, right? Like if Democrats are saying this is a three-week deadline for Congress, we know we don't have the vote, we ultimately have to go back. I think the question is, can you, do they end up calling Abbott's bluff in, in using this threat against them? Does this ultimately become the thing that they come back for if Republicans agree that it will be the first thing on the table in another special session that starts August 7th to keep these folks 
funded to keep these offices funded, right? Like we should also remember that these people do like constituent services, right? It's not just staffing the legislature, but it's constituent services. It's the uh, legal experts who help them redraw maps, which they have to do in like a month and a half. Uh, and so I, I think that the question is just this end up basically serving to call Abbott's bluff um, and and do sort of Democrats position themselves in a way where they can actually do that and, and make this the first thing back in an August 7th special session. I think that's exactly the point, Alexa. And I think it's, it is sort of a big game of chicken, right? Because the governor clearly wants this elections bill and the bail reform bill passed. The Democrats don't want those passed, but they also want to reinstate the the funding on Article 10. And so could we see a situation in which there is actually horse trading and actually negotiating happening between the two sides? It's something that's been completely foreign, I think, this year um, and probably for, for many years, like to actually have like these horse trades and negotiations between the two parties, you know, a, a healthy legislative body, I think, would do those kinds of trades and negotiations. But with the, the Republican majority, they really have really rammed down their priorities. And it's not it's not a criticism. I think it's just reality. They've rammed down their priorities um, d- through the legislative session and they've really run over the Democrats to the point that I think the Democrats at the end of the regular session were just like, we're not going to take it anymore. If you guys are not even going to act in good faith, we're just going to, we're just going to leave and we'll make this hurt and it'll hurt everybody. But here we are. And I think that showed again, where maybe this special session could have gone differently. If maybe that hearing on Saturday had gone differently, uh, there was a new special, a special committee, a new chairman, and maybe things could have been different if there was a willingness to like negotiate and trade horses and maybe, you know, change some things in the bill. But it ran for, what, 24 hours? Alexa, I'm sorry. Or Alexa and Cassie, sorry, because I had to cover that. And it basically was like pretty much the same thing. They were just running them over. And I don't think the Democrats took too kindly to that. And I think that ultimately led to the situation. And so all that being said, can, are we now in this situation where we're playing this big game of chicken and now it's sort of like mutually beneficial for each side to actually horse trade? But I don't know. Maybe that's just a high-minded thinking. I, I want to talk a little bit more about this dynamic, but first let's pause and hear a message from our sponsors. The Texas Conference for Women is a nonprofit, nonpartisan event that provides connection, motivation, networking, inspiration, and skill building for thousands of Texas women each year. For more information, visit txconferenceforwomen.org. And Texas 2036. This session, the Texas legislature made real progress with lasting benefits. Learn which bills will shape our future the most at texas2036.org slash blog. Okay, so James, yeah, you basically what you've described as a staring contest, right? Where who's going to blink first? And, you know, I think one of the issues here is Democrats seem to be hoping that the um, the Article 10 veto can kind of be turned against Abbott here. And and maybe that there might be pressure, you know, whether it's in order to be able to do redistricting um, in a later special session or also maybe just pressure from. Republicans in the chamber who don't want their own staffs to be uh, to lose their paychecks, essentially, uh, 
that is that is what they're kind of counting on to push Abbott to move forward. You know, I could envision something that maybe they would ask for a situation where Abbott would put Article 10 up first before bringing up some of these other things. My, my skepticism here is that Republicans seem very confident in the days after this politically that they are kind of in the strong position. I mean, the, the Miller Lite that we joked about at first you know, plays into this and in, in how they've been trying to frame this afterwards. They basically, you know, the, the Miller Lite story here, let's like pause briefly and give the backstory here, which is that um, Democratic representatives kind of taking a selfie on the bus to an airplane in the background of that picture is a some quantity of cans of Miller Lite. We're not sh- sure, although I feel quite quantity. that it's a 12, 12 pack. Definitely not a case. As as someone else pointed it out on Twitter, the cases have the the um, sharp edges and the oh gosh, the, this had rounded edges. Um, but anyways, um, you know, I I think that has turned out to be symbolic in a way that Democrat that Republicans have really been enjoying. You know, they've been they've been pretty confident that this is not going to play well. That that they're framing this as Democrats jumping on a pl- private plane with a a case of beer. And, and flying to Washington, D.C. to stay at the Plaza Hotel and, and all this stuff that, um, you know, I think they think that they can kind of hit Democrats over the head with um, for the coming weeks in a way that makes me think they're not really interested in, in doing those kinds of negotiations. I mean, Cassie, are you seeing anything, any wavering from Republicans so far in that regard? Uh, in regard to, Just, you know, any sign that they might be willing to go to the negotiating table here? Uh, you know, it was uh, interesting. So the House Republican Caucus, I didn't mention this in my first answer uh, at the be- at the top of TribCast, but, you know, uh, the Republican Caucus held a press presser yesterday afternoon uh, in the chamber, in the speaker's uh, press conference room. And, you know, they're their message was essentially, you know, they, they acknowledged on the front end, Jim Murphy caucus chair acknowledged that state authorities don't have, uh, you know, the jurisdiction to, to actually bring uh, back House Democrats once they've left the state. And he was just point blank saying our request, we are asking House Democrats to come back and work on, uh, you know, the 13 check legislation, uh, you know, border security funding, all, a host of other issues that were on that are on Abbott's special session agenda. Um, that was their message, and you know I think that they're pr- feeling pretty confident from an optics perspective that um, you know their position is probably more you know re- re- resonating a, a little bit better with with voters in the state. Um, they're the ones I wasn't there in the chamber when it happened, but apparently there was a um, house photo taken on the house floor this morning um, of pretty much an empty chamber, but House Republicans were seated, the speakers seated uh, or standing in the middle of, uh, of the room. And, you know, the message there is, hey, we're here, we're ready to work, we're ready to make uh, Texans lives better by passing these bills. And it's Democrats who have left the state. And it's Democrats who aren't wanting to come to the table to negotiate with some of these uh, on some of these bills. Um, Andrew Murr, the the House member who's carrying the elections bill during the special session, gave us a statement, first story that we had earlier this week, that essentially said, hey, look, I've been trying to be as transparent as possible with my Democratic colleagues as we work on this elections bill. I'm disappointed that they've left the state. Now, whether whether or not that's true, you know, you'd probably have to talk to talk to Democrats and Republicans to get a, get a better feel for that. But that's certainly the message that they're trying to project right now, Republicans. 
Yeah, I just want to jump in because we've like Matthew, you said, you know, playing well, you know, for some voters, Cassie, you mentioned like what's resonating with voters. And I think that that is ultimately the underlying tension to this, that it's like playing well among who, right? Like among which voters, because this is sort of an exercise in everyone retreating to their ends and their voters cheering them on in their responses. And, And so I don't I don't know how because of those divisions, I don't know how much of the like public perception of this may ultimately work into putting pressure into folks. And, and, and I do find it interesting as a related note that like in a lot of their responses, Republicans have not said or talked about the urgency of passing the election bill that caused all of this, including the special session. They have instead focused on these other measures, many of which they could have actually done in the regular legislative session. And so I think that, you know, obviously optics is one thing and public perception matters, but but I'm not sure at the end of the day, like how much of this is going beyond the usual ledge back and forth and how much of it will actually make a difference and move the needle on on getting folks back and ultimately voting on Article 10. Well, one more thing that might be informative, too, is to look back at 2003 when the Democrats last broke quorum, right? Um, Then I think during the regular session, the House Democrats left to Ardmore and they did that for a couple of weeks. And then in the first special session, uh, Dewhurst upheld the two thirds rule so that the bill couldn't couldn't be called up. They wouldn't suspend the rules. The, the Democrats had enough people to, to hold that off. Uh, the rules have now been changed. So there is no two thirds rule uh, there for them to work with. And I don't think they have the numbers to employ that rule. Um, and then the I think in the second special session, the Democrats, uh, the Senate Democrats then left to, to New Mexico. Um, and then finally, in the third special session, I think they passed it. But the important part is they passed it. <laughs> so it doesn't matter how many times you go around doing this thing, like they are going to pass it. And I actually looked up the numbers and I think it was like uh, the the Republicans, or there was like one, one differential in the makeup of like the House, I think. So there wasn't a huge political shift. So to Alexis point, if, if the pass holds true, it's everybody just going to their own corners, going to their own silo. And I'm not sure how much is how much is going to get changed, which maybe then goes to Alexa's other point about like, maybe that's why the Democrats are in Congress, because they're the only ones that can really do anything. And I think the Democrats are very clear eyed about that reality. Yeah, so then I think I think it, it then goes back again to this Article 10 situation. And I wonder whether Abbott you know, secretly would privately question whether that was the best idea because, you know, he kind of, he had that power to continue calling them back and continue calling them back in the same way that the last kind of 2013 quorum break was broken up. But now there's this other thing weighing that, that makes it harder for both sides, frankly, to kind of just sit out and, 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 and kind of be in that staring contest with each other. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that factors in, in the, in the coming month. But I think um, there will be plenty of more time to talk about this. I suspect next week's TripCast will will be in a very similar situation. So uh, we'll save the rest of the conversation for them. Thank you to James, Alexa, and Cassie for joining us today. Thank you to our producer, Michael Ray. And thank you to our sponsors, the Human Rights Campaign, the Texas Farm Bureau, the Texas Conference for Women, and Texas 2036. We'll talk to you all next week. Talking